Welcome to the Dadpreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Oliveira. Today, we have a very exciting guest here, especially for those dads who are gamers, for all the IT geeks out there, including myself. I, I can only do so much, but uh, I do enjoy the technology and everything that, happen- that has happened on the web in the last 20 plus years. Our guest, Nick Donarski, is, boy, I'm going to let him do the introduction because he's working on really cutting edge stuff, the cybersecurity side of, of the IT world, but also the Web3 side of it, where you've got blockchain, NFTs, tokens. So we're going to geek out today. And for those of you who are scared of the blockchain or Web3, we're going to demystify some of that. But first, we're going to get down to business, learn about Nick and how he's come to where he's at. And then we'll dive into a little bit of the worries of, for, for most entrepreneurs and businesses, which is cybersecurity, cyber attacks. How do you stay safe? And then we'll wrap up towards the end of the show, just talking about the fun stuff that, that I know you love to do, Nick. So welcome to the podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me. You know, um, anything that I can get out to help people just understand and learn about this stuff is, is what I love doing. Absolutely. So Nick, you were telling me before we got on the podcast here about how you got started in high school. Tell us about that story. Yeah. You know, um, my first official job was actually being hired by my high school, my uh, sophomore summer, because uh, it was cheaper for them to hire me as a system administrator than somebody outside. So I like to say that the story was is half of it went to pay for my tuition. The other half went in my pocket is beer money. So oh, nice. You know, nice. That, how long had you been in it at that at that point? How long um, have you been doing that? Really? So I wrote my first program in 1989 on an Apple IIe in basic and really kind of literally was born and bred on the internet. Um, my wow. dad always had computers at home. Really, I, I you know, I, I give a lot of props to that. It's because he was, you know, he always had the rule, you know, if you go ahead and break my stuff, hack my stuff, just know what you did, you know, and, and understand what, and rule number one was always never hack from home. So, yeah, <laughs> well, I love, I love that. What you just said right there, Nick, because I have four kids and I, I'm always telling my kids to, you know, be really careful, whether it's um, being on YouTube or gaming, the amount of time that they put into these things that for me, there's a clear line between something that can help you grow as a human being and do great in the world and entertainment. And then there's somewhere in the middle where it's both, right? Where you really enjoy doing what you're doing. But like what I, I, I love that your dad did that because I think it's hard for parents sometimes, you know, your kid want, loves gaming or programming and you may not understand that perhaps they have not only the passion, but the skills to do something great with it. And you are like that example of like, here's a dad who said, nope, here's the electronics, but go build something with it. And today you have your own, your own company. So that's so cool. Yeah. Uh, 23 years officially in cybersecurity, man. And I wouldn't be in it a day without that you know, that bringing it up. Wow, man. That's so cool. So tell us like after high school, um, where, where did your career go? Yeah. You know, the, um, a lot of people want, you said, go out and get your certificates and, and things like that. So, um, I, I don't promote this to everyone out there, but this, it, it's kind of the, the feeling about, you know, classical education versus going through like trades and certificate programs. Uh, I've gone to nine colleges, one of them twice, and I still don't have one credit to my name. So 23 <laughs> years in this industry, you, got um, bored. you know, 
Yeah, well, that's exactly what it was. It, is it the the reason that I went was because I wanted to learn specific, you know, key skill. I was building a race car. I wanted to make sure that I knew how to rebuild the engine from somebody that really knew it. Once I got that information, like I wasn't there for the degree. I had already had, you know, a, a an IT company that I did support for teachers, parents, you know, uh, anybody local. So I didn't go to necessarily college to find my career. Um, sure. That that kind of swayed it a little bit of what, what I needed to finish and what I didn't. But understanding that the, the classical education are very good for those key elements of somebody that understands yeah. the core competencies of whatever those things are, have good application. But at the same time, the things that you can learn by doing it and getting your hands dirty and actually breaking something and then figuring out how to fix it you know, that was that was like the core element of kind of how my dad brought, you know, brought me up through that. Man, that, you're speaking the language to our community here, because I hear so often entrepreneurs like myself that they'll reach out and go, Alex, I didn't know that you dropped out of college. Right. I've built three multimillion dollar companies. I came here from Brazil as an immigrant, 10 years old, didn't speak the language. I mean, I had everything stacked up against me, so to speak, but not really because like you, Nick, and like a lot of our, our listeners who are entrepreneurs, who even the ones who went and finished, went to college and finished, they'll, they'll be the first one to say that the school of the hard knocks, going out there, doing the hands-on stuff that you're talking about, tinkering, being a creator, being a leader, right? Those were the things that led them to find like their path to success. And that's what you're talking about. But I love that you acknowledge the fact that it's not for everybody. Because when I go lecture at colleges, I'm like, I just want to preface by saying I'm a college dropout. So I'm not telling anybody that, that this is the, the path to entrepreneurship success, because in most cases, it's not. Yep. Yeah. You know, I'm, I, I consider myself a one-off in a lot of that. <laughs> I, you know, yeah. I, I just like to share that, you know, you don't I like you, it. It's not a, it's, it can be a benefit, but it's not a hurdle, right? right. It's, it's how you react and how you come through the, the whole process of developing an idea, getting bumped back and knocked down, and then actually still trying to get that thing done and over the hill, you know? And, and it's probably because you're so passionate about it. It's probably because you've never done it for money or any other reason. It's because you just love doing it, right? It absolutely 100, 1000 percent. And and the reason that I also say that is because I've been in cybersecurity for 23 years and I'm not a millionaire. You know, I still punch keys. I write code to this day. And that's my happy, you know. Um, I, I run and as a CTO, I'm able to express all of my technical skills, all of my engineering gifts, all my thought process. But I know that myself, right, I'm not I'm not necessarily the complete business package. I I like to be friendly. I'm an engineer, so I, I like to help people. <laughs> yeah. Which, you know, from the business side for billing might not necessarily be right. yeah. <laughs> exactly. So I have I have people that understand that aspect of this and they're very good in their part, which makes the which you know goes to being a team lead. Um, I, I pride myself on being a leader and a team lead as opposed to necessarily a manager, right? right. It's a much different mentality going into it. Yeah, absolutely. I think you know where where your strengths are and you know that it's teamwork. I mean, uh, both of us here sitting on this podcast, we know that it couldn't happen without other people 
involved. You had your PR team. I had my podcast manager. You know, people are working to bring us together, but it doesn't happen on its own. I think it's just, it's important to acknowledge that if you're good at something and you want to be an entrepreneur, a business leader, you know, and grow, it's great, but you don't have to be an expert at everything. And I do feel that pressure sometimes as a, as an entrepreneur where I can dabble in certain areas, it, it can be dangerous because you could spend too much time doing something that you don't love, which like, I don't love that thing, but I'm going to do it anyways, because it's a challenge. Absolutely. But then you come to the realization like, dude, I suck at that. Let me just give it to Bob. Bob will kill it. Jane will go finish it in half the yes. time and let me do what I'm good at. Right. I mean, and then you, then you get back to your happy place. Right. And then you're yeah. back, then you're back to that. You know, this is fun. This is awesome. This is, you're not, you know, people excel in their different places and don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of, you know, to say, I don't know that. Like that's right. A, this is, that's a hurdle that people have a problem getting over, you know, saying, I don't know. Um, me as it an takes engineer, the pressure off. Well, yeah, me as an engineer, if I get asked a really cool, weird technical question, right? My answer is, I don't know, but let me find out, right? Yeah. It's, it's that, but let me find out part that, that right. people are, don't realize that they can do, you know, everybody doesn't expect you necessarily to be an expert a hundred percent of the time, but it's how you interact with what that difficulty is again, and doing the work, doing the research, doing whatever it is and following up. And that's where success comes, especially when you're talking about clients and customers. Yeah. And I love the IT industry for that because in, in IT from the beginning to now where it's so much more complicated and big, it, it's always in order for you to succeed, you have to, yes, be a tinkerer and, and be passionate and all that, but it doesn't happen like in a vacuum, you know, like you really actually have to dedicate and commit because it's finding that needle in a haystack. So in your case, if you're doing cybersecurity, you're not just like pressing like two keys and going, I'm done. Well, Sometimes. I like to say that there's no automagical button. <laughs> no control, alt, delete. <laughs> That's yeah. You know, it's not automagical. Uh, you know, lots of lots of clients will come up with great developed ideas of how uh, things should work, and then oh, you know, it's the the assumption is that well, it's just drag and drop, right? Yeah. Well, it's not really when you're starting to build out things, and especially when you're talking about like these bleeding edge technologies. You know, yeah. like we've been talking blockchain and all the rest, right? The, these things aren't necessarily that difficult. They just seem foreign to everybody. Mm -hmm. And when it's foreign, when you don't understand it, then you're scared of it. And, sure. You know, that's like you were saying earlier, the internet, the early days of the internet. You know, people were scared of it. Now you wouldn't be able to live without it. Oh, sure. Yeah. It's on your smartphone. It's running like a supercomputer. Now talk, talk to me about cybersecurity. Like sure. every... Every major business group that I go talk to, um, whether it's at a chamber or a conference, you know, every CTO, CIO, CEOs, we're, we're worried about like what, what's going to happen to my customer's data, payment. There's all these systems that are being hacked all the time. What's the, like, what are your biggest worries in, in the cyber world? And then what do you advise that businesses do, Nick? I mean, the biggest thing, and we've been saying it for the longest time, is really the human element. You mm -hmm. Organizations spend millions and millions of dollars every single year on tools, technology, something to plug in, another antivirus, 
firewalls, all the rest, right? Mm -hmm. Organizations have been spending on this stuff for the last 25 years. And we still are seeing an increase of breaches. We're still seeing an increase of, you know, attacks against organizations, individuals, data, etc. And it all still is that the human is the weakest link. Social engineering, clicking on things that you shouldn't click on, browsing to a website. The, the problem with that though is right, is like for me doing this for as very long, I can set it up so that literally you just have to browse to a website and have it load in your browser and I have access to your machine. Like it's that simplified at this point. So it's about educating the user that is going to be the key to get over that hurdle. You can't stop every, you can't stop every breach. You can do your due diligence, good software development life cycles. If you develop software, good architecture, security controls, if you're talking about doing it from an enterprise are going to be key. And then things like user segmentation, having one, one administrative account to rule them all is, is not good practice. It may be easy, but again, we're going down that route of where the human element, right? We're making it easy for the human, which is just making it easier for the, uh, for the, the attacker, right? And then, you know, again, that due diligence, um, validating that if you're going to go to an email that says it's from your bank, you know, make sure that it actually is written in clear English. If you don't, if you don't believe what it's telling you, don't click on the links on the email. You can usually get those same alerts inside of your banking app if you go and directly log into your bank, right? They'll give you the little the little um, bell button or the alert that says this is whatever the notice was sent out. Mm-hmm. The the interaction with the end user is what's going to continue to be the the highest target of any attacker out there. That all then cascades downhill to that's you know, it. Once you data, it's like you open that crack of the doors. It's as if you were in space and you popped open the door just to crack. It's over. <laughs> yep. it's, it's over. And that's and that's exactly it. So education there is key. Uh, you know, good good cybersecurity training programs. Um, one program that I actually like, I'll plug them. I have no I have no contact or you know they you know hey if they want to throw me a kickback, but uh, Ninjio. <laughs> Ninjio. Is, is a, yeah, Ninjio. Uh, Ninja IO. Uh, or Ninjio, however however they spell. Anyway, what they do is they do uh, cybersecurity training using an anime style cartoon that all of a sudden presents those ideas, but it's presented in a way that's not just a flyer. It's not static. It's not somebody beating you over the head with the content. Okay. It's presented, you know, I like to say if it's in a cartoon, it's easier to digest, right? Because we just assume that the animation makes it easier. People tend to pay more attention to it, those types of things. And it's, it's a great utility. So we use it internal for us for doing part of our cybersecurity training. Um, I, I've used it at tons of clients at this point, but it, the way that they present it is something that's easy to digest for the normal user. And that's right. half of the, half of the roadblock that you run into is that topics are so te- technical, but the, yeah. the receivers aren't. Yeah, no, you're so right. I mean, you're on point with that. I think that the 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 platforms that are out there in the, not only technology, but even in my world with lead gen and technology and marketing, they obviously developers, people like yourself, 
you might develop it for people who are technical, but most of the users are not. I, so I think the easiest example of probably the biggest marketplace where people are going to every day, Facebook and Google and their ad networks, right? Anyone, anyone can log in, create an ad, give them the payments, create and, and go to town. But actually, the more you peel it and the more you start to dig into it, I mean, there are hundreds of different ways that you can set up an account. Yep. And the difference between success and failure is a technical, not only a marketer, but someone who's technical and can actually connect all the pieces. So when people say, look, you know, you know I've tried that for lead gen, but it didn't work. Yeah, but how technical was the person? Because unfortunately, even if you talk to these days, a, a rep at uh, Facebook or Google, right, about spending money on ads, they themselves don't understand the auction-based system that was not written by them either. So, and if you went to talk to the, 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 the IT team and the dev team, they also don't know how to speak that language to the average person. So there's like your, what you're talking about, I think applies in so many industries. And you're right that when you gamify things, you make it more accessible. I see with my kids, uh, Nick, mm -hmm. um, when they're when they're playing something like Minecraft or you know uh, um, Splatoon or like some of these games yeah. that are harmless. These are not like violent games or anything like that. Obviously, um, their mind just right because they're they're those, some of those games are like they're part creations, like they're partly creating and partly sort of being rewarded for getting further and further and better at it. Right. Um, but I've seen it done in education uh, where they gamify the experience and you just see people are like, wow, it was fun. And now I understand it. You're, you're going to see a lot more of that start to actually come up. You know, you, a lot of people have heard metaverse and all the rest, yeah. um, you know, though at the core of that, it's just a video game. Like everybody sure. coins metaverse. It's kind of like cyber cyber is information mm -hmm. security, you know, uh, it's that buzzword, but at the end of the day, all of these verses are just video games at the core of them. Mm -hmm. And so if, if you not the buzzword and people aren't scared of that new right of metaverse, it's just a video game. That's, that's all these, all these technologies are, it's just applying different underlying technologies in those same things that everybody's already used to using. Exactly. Yeah. And you're seeing it across, I mean, even in fitness with during COVID where everybody was doing fitness from home and now mm -hmm. they have, you know, rings and, and you see it in healthcare, you're, you're seeing it in so many industries, which is, I, th I think it's really cool, but let's shift the conversation a little bit towards that web three metaverse sure. NFTs. I've been buying NFTs for like the last year. I have a few that I've, that, that I've purchased and people are like, what are you doing? And I'm like, listen, it's not like I spent I don't even think I spent a hundred bucks on them. And it was, <laughs> it was crypto that I had sitting there that had, you know, gone up a thousand percent. Why sure. not buy something that I thought was valuable? Um, and, and that, that's all it was, you know, and some people, I guess, have that disconnect. Like, why would I buy something that's not tangible? And I get that. And you and I were talking about this thing. I think part of the problem, and this happens in every industry, everybody like all, all, Everyone shows up, the, the, the well-intentioned people, the people who want to make a buck, and then you have all the bad actors. And absolutely in, in crypto and in NFT, there are just a lot of people there who they just want to make money. They don't care about the community. They want to pump and dump. And it's why, as you and I were talking about, there's just so many people who could be 
could be and are even interested in, it could be involved in the community, invest, but they're saying, you know what, I'm going to sit on the sidelines because there are just too many bad actors. And I think it's so close to the world of hackers and people like yourself, not in a bad yeah. way. You're, yeah, you're an yeah, ethical, yeah. ethical guy, but you know, like you just never know. Well, you know, the, the thing is, is most people buy the virtual non-real items every day. There's lots of things that you'll go online and you buy a movie that's a digital movie. Not yours. It's, it's, yeah. It, it's the same. It's the same type of thing. NFTs, though, it's closer kind of like sports memorabilia, collectibles, things like that. Right. I like to use the analogy of a Tom Brady signed football. OK, so an NFT as a NFT as a Tom Brady signed football. Right. That might that signed football might be very valuable. Right. There might be a collector out there that, you know, that's that one last piece that he hasn't had. So he needs to have that piece to collect it. And there's only one of that, you know, that football. Right. So he pays, you know, thousands of dollars for that. And that makes his collection. There's other people out there that might just be a general collector. Right. Uh, Tom Brady signed football is going to be cool. You know, so the value for that item to that person is 500 bucks or, you know, whatever. At the same time, though, I can give that Tom Brady signed football to my, you know, 13 year old, and he's going to go outside in the yard and play with it. Right. The NFTs are just <laughs> like a collectible like anything else. You know, it's um, it's who owns it. It's if it means something to you in the community. And that's that's like the core element of an NFT. The yeah. second part of it, like to try to find it and kind of suss out some of those uh, bad actors it's really to what does that NFT also do? Um, so a lot of people have known NFTs as just art, right? It's just that piece of art. It's just that item. But in reality, the NFT is just a, just a picture on, on, the, on the blockchain. It's just an element in the blockchain. And if you look at it as an item in video games, which is how we use it, we use it for digital rights management of video game items, movies, music, things like that, so that the owner of it can actually distribute that, have those royalties, and have utility in the function of what that technology can do. You look at a project that provides other utility to what those things are, and now it's now it becomes something that's going to be around for a while, something that the community can join something that brings people together that they're using that same technology in video games today. We just don't call it anything. Yeah. And I, I think the, the challenge Nick is also from the, the old guard, you know, the old money mm -hmm. is that, um, you know, they, since they don't understand it, or even when they do understand it, they stand to lose a lot in their investments Right. If it's not backed by the Federal Reserve and the government and the central banks. Sure. And so there is a government component to it, which is to say, like, look, the old money that controls like literally 90 percent of our economy are these entities here. They mm -hmm. want nothing to do with blockchain, NFTs and and this like very like uh, uh, wild, wild west sort of like environment because it would have to shift. Things would have to shift. I mean, look, some countries have gone to, uh, you know, 100% Bitcoin and, mm -hmm. and there are many that are ad adopting more. We're down here in South Florida, you know, in Miami. Um, yep, Miami know, they, coin. The Miami coin. And so 
again, is that's the future. But I, I do feel like this is so early that it's like the internet, right? 20 years from now, it's going to look very, very different. And it's going to probably I, I take time for people like yourself to weed out the bad actors and whether you're using it for gaming or payments or art collecting, it, it, you got to get rid of those people. And I think we're seeing that with this collection. Yeah, I was just going yeah, to say, you know, this this may, you know, some people may say this is chaos, you know, to me, um, from from a development standpoint, from a legitimacy standpoint, right? The The bubble ends up making way and it's kind of like a culling of the herd, if you will, right? Uh, it, it, it's going to clean out a lot of those projects that were 100% sourced on selling off their projects, 100% on the crypto. I mean, nine out of 10 projects we run into have invested 90% of their their dollars into marketing and have on a piece of paper somewhere, some napkin scrabbled what they want to do technically. You know, for us, we can't, I came from an engineering standpoint and it was a put up or shut up kind of, you know, sure. mentality. So we went into it from the technical end. So where we're still continuing to build, still bringing in clients, still functioning and, and operating, we didn't bank. We, I mean, from day one, we said we weren't a crypto project. We have a, we have a token that's involved inside of our system, okay. but we're an actual business in the United States. We, we have an entity, we have lawyers, we have business people, we have a team, things that were more classic like software company right. than just a, a crypto project. And those types of organizations are the ones that are going to make it through this and are going to be here for that, for that rebound. Everybody knows that the crypto market always rebounds. It always come. It always comes back. It comes back farther than it ever went down. Um, I was around when you could buy five dollar Bitcoin. You sure. know, so uh, I, it was at thirty two bucks at that time. Dipped down to like five. I think it was like five and a quarter or something. But yeah, I remember when it went down back then. Though you also didn't have J P Morgan Chase buying and selling Bitcoin. You couldn't go, you know, to an ATM and get Bitcoin out. You had to, you had to go to a hacker conference to see a Bitcoin ATM, you know. So the adoption has changed. And like you were saying earlier, you know, what we see now versus what we see 10 or 15 or 20 years from now, it's going to look vastly different. Right. And I think, you know, you know the, the Warren Buffetts or Munger, Charlie Mungers of the world who are big naysayers because they don't want to see any of their their fortunes shift because they have no control on this other side, but eventually they will come around to it. They have to, and well, they won't be around anymore at that point, but <laughs> they're, they're people who are obviously more progressive minded will say, okay, well now it's time to shift it over to over here. But I think, look, it's worth noting, Nick, for our audience, our listeners who, who have a hard time grasping that, as you mentioned, the chaos, the chaos, or as we call it, the correction yeah. that, we just went through a correction in the stock market, 20%. We are in a bear market, mm-hmm. period. That's not my opinion. Inflation, we are. <laughs> we might not be technically in a recession, but we are. Companies are laying people off. And it's not just related to, to, the, to, to COVID or the mm-hmm. war. It's very complicated. It's very complicated. But in the world of equities and, and stocks and all of that, the same thing has happened forever and a day pump and dump. The the biggest 
players, the whales, they come up, they, they, they take it to the top, then they drop, then everything drops, not based on supply or demand. You know, why are some stocks still dropping or have dropped 30, 40%, even mm -hmm. though they have the highest demand? I mean, you, you could take a company like Shopify or Spotify and these companies where they're still growing, but guess what? Their stock is down like 50, 60%. Because the Absolutely. big investors came in, they left, and the little guys are like, oh, crap, now, now, what am I going to do? That, so real estate, we're about to, by oh, all yeah. accounts, all, all the experts, I know realtors, uh, brokers that I know personally, uh, Nick, who are, who've been saying to me for three years, I don't believe that real estate is still exploding like this. And they're just waiting for that, that similar moment that we had in 08, except that was a mortgage crisis, and today- sure. It's, it's more just about a pump and dump. People mm -hmm. who come in, they buy, they raise the prices, push people out, and then you know they make their money. So just a reminder to people that the same thing that's happening in crypto right now is happening in other uh, investment types. So Well, the other thing that I'll throw out there too is, is a lot of those people that might have been necessarily more vocal with about the losses and everything, they were also the ones that were also crying about not being able to buy Bitcoin at this price. Oh, totally. Absolutely. You know? So, yeah. yeah. You know, well, and, and you don't, you don't look, you don't, you, you shouldn't invest what you can't lose to begin with. Right. So I, over time I had bought um, Bitcoin in 2013, I believe it was 12, 13, right around when it was, I, I want to say 700, maybe sure. around there. Uh, then I then I dumped it when I thought, ooh, I made a bunch of money. <laughs> I came back in, um, I think it was 17, 18. So great, made a little bit there, then lost some. Then I came back in at like 20. And then and then I bought some more at 40 last year, yep. right? And then it went to 60. And I'm like, <laughs> it's just amazing, right? But overall, overall, I've made more than I've lost. and But I've never put into that world what I knew I couldn't lose for my family or for my business, for my customers, my employees. It was just, you know, very conservative. And well, um, you, you can't marry the asset. You know, you can't you can't get married to those types of investments. Right. Those they're they're not they're not core utility stuff. Not yet. Not, not yet. You know, yeah. they're not things that, you know, necessarily people can live without. Right. Yeah. People uh, can live without um, uh, Bitcoin. They can't live without electricity, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you, you know, it's a, it's just when you're when you're doing it from an investment standpoint, you have to realize that it's it's like going into Las Vegas, man. You know, you don't sit down at the table, which you can't, you know, worry about not taking home. Yeah, and so, that's what I talk talk about with a lot of my uh, friends who are really super technical guys who have worked in the Pentagon doing sure. cybersecurity and stuff. And the, and, and the gamers who are serious gamers who write code, those guys, it's like, you've seen that there's been this like fight between them and these opportunists on the crypto side, which are the guys who are on Reddit or subreddits with, with the, you know, all the meme stocks, because these people are just talking about money. Frankly, I've heard some of these guys speak who don't actually even understand the, the actual concept of blockchain and how you mine it. They don't know the first thing, but they know that they put 20 grand here or hundred grand there and made a million. And, and it's driving people like you crazy because you're like, my God, the technology is great, but they're using it for, you know, fool's gold. It, I mean, it really is. Um, 
the the simplest thing like for anybody right we talk about blockchain we've said it a couple of times i mean the easiest way to understand blockchain is it's just a database yeah. right everybody knows what a database is mm-hmm. but you say blockchain and all of a sudden you know people's eyes kind of glaze over a little bit because it, it seems this so big thing it's it's really not it, it's just a databasing technology that has some security controls built into it sure that's the simplest way for anybody to kind of understand what blockchain is NFTs, crypto tokens, they're just, they're pieces of data, they're systems, they're, they're programs that run on, on that blockchain and just use it. I mean, there's no magic to all of the underlying stuff. And, and that's that snake oil. That's that, you know, that's that, you know, the charm that all these, you know, just like you were saying, that pump and dump, that this is how I made a million dollars. They don't, you know, they couldn't tell you what proof of work means, mm-hmm. right? But they're going to tell you that if you invest in this one, you're going to make a million dollars, you know. But on that same token, not not to use it as a pun here, but oh, yeah. to, on the same token that we're talking about, the, tr- the the new investor who is more progressive thinking and is 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 just wanting to move away from the government and all that control. Sure. If I take the the old money, the hedge fund managers, the the big investors, the, the you know those billionaires, look they do the same thing. I mean, they really literally do the same thing, right? They, sure. they, they only care about the bottom line and making X for their shareholders. And what, why is it so different? Just because it's regulated by a core group of entities like the Fed and the government. And it's really no it, different. It's, it's not, you know, and, and the funny part is, is, is that people think that there is a difference but it, it, they're, they're still paying someone to centralize their decentralized crypto, right? Yeah. They're, they're centralizing it in the fund. They're centralizing it in the person versus actually understanding, you know, or, or looking at what they actually do. You find yeah, whether, it, whether it's a token or whether it's a project or whether it's an NFT or something like that, that has something that it does, whatever it is, other than just the picture, that project is probably going to be here longer than just something that has n- nothing behind it. Yeah. I like to call it the ether. The ether. Yeah, you're right. And, and I think like you're right to a certain extent, there's a lot of companies out there who are just spending 80% of their revenue on marketing just to like, you know, get on the map. But I, I will give props to the developers and UX folks who put together these systems because both on the front end and the back end, when you compare any of these marketplaces, right? could be Coinbase, Mm -hmm. Binance, all of them. When you look at the user experience and how fast everything moves and easy and how complicated, like you can do really some complicated stuff there. Oh yeah. And you compare it to the traditional platforms in Ameritrade or, or, or a, a tasty works or, um, Ro- well, no Robinhood, I, I would say somewhere in the middle, it's sort of like very bare bones sure. right? because yeah. that was their, their charm was like, Hey, you could be bare a bones turtle. Is simple. Yeah. You could be a turtle and you could make this work. But I, I remember when I first signed up on, on Robinhood a few years back, I said, compared to the charts that I had been using on like Meritrade and some of these other platforms, and then compared to the ones on on the crypto um, um, marketplaces, I was like, "What? I can't study anything here, man. There's no no candle charts. There's like nothing." Whereas like the the traditional banking and investment platforms are still stuck in like early two thousands. Yeah. Which I'm not taking a dig at those developers, but I kind of feel like maybe the 
old guard is just telling them like, this is good enough for our customers. We actually well, don't want to give them the power that the new guys give to their users. Well, they, they, have, they have a core revenue that they've locked in. They know is going to generate them revenue for throughout time. And they don't. They they already know what their market is. They know where their margin is. They know the f- user functionalities. They've probably got the same bu- a set of bugs that are listed or feature requests for the last couple of years. Yeah, you're right. But, you know, but they're they're on this tried and true. They're an ocean. They're they're a um, a uh, uh, shipping container line on the ocean, right? You know, they're this big massive thing that you know doesn't really turn well. Whereas the companies like Coinbase and these crypto companies. They're, they're all about innovation. They're all yeah. about bleeding edge. They're all about, you know, new and shiny, both to the benefit and detriment. But, yeah. they, you know, the, they are. They're, they're just more, they're younger. You know, most younger, of these companies, yeah. most of these companies are run by much younger, right. uh, you know, people than those big ancient, you know, boats that, that have to turn. Yeah, that's a great analogy there. But I, I think you're right. I mean, the the agility or, you know, also using another word here that yeah. is no no uh, stranger to people in the development world. I mean, whether they're using agile, I mean, the, at the, the speed that they make these things better, it's just constantly. So to me as a marketer, uh, Nick, I think like, man, that's like, even though you haven't dominated the market, you don't have enough believers to say we can scale so big yet. They're putting so much work in the in the front end, the final product for the user. Everything from like the, the utility, like how you log in and create an account to how you study the charts. Man, it's like next level. And you come to the traditional and you're like, this is like look the same way for 20 years, man. Well, it's, dri- it's driven by the community. That's the difference, right? That's the difference in crypto. Crypto is all about the community. It's all about the people in the circle, in your inner circle, in, in the uh, partnership circle. Mm-hmm. It's all about the community that, that drives a lot of that, whereas yeah. you have the business driving it from the other side. Yes, and I organizational. Think, <laughs> yes, yes. You know, so... You know, the community drives the ideas, which drives the innovation for the engineers to be able to turn around and make things like that happen. And it's just it's a it's an awesome cycle. It, I mean, it's kind of like decentralizing development, I guess. Yeah, no, it's exciting. I mean, I'm definitely <laughs> I'm super excited to see that, the, you know, where where it's going. I mean, I think it's uh, anybody who's young right now at, at the time that you were in high school, they'd be crazy not to get into this industry and if, if it's something that you like um and there's so much there i mean that that's gonna 20 years from now gonna look so different for you guys and 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 your system and the tokens or what's next for you guys what are you guys developing that you're really excited about nick uh, i mean we're we're bringing in music um into the entire system here so we're actually decentralizing digital rights management and and community publishing so integrated as part of our system right we have the the uh the video game items and things like that that we already support game developers can come onto the platform and get their games out to more people through nfts but we're also bringing streaming and music in so we've got um musicians that are able to bring their content in attach that music item whether it's sheet music their song or whatever it might be and start to build that streaming community around self-publishing and awesome. really kind of decentralizing the music industry. We, we're targeted, you know, we targeted steam out the gate. 
um, to, to compete with their digital rights management and their sales platform. Steam charges developers 30%, 30% to be on their platform. That's crazy, man. I mean, you get these little indie developers that, you know, are doing this in their, you know, in their basement, in their attic, whatever it is, after hours of doing their normal job just for fun. And they can't get it, their, you know, game in front of these, you know, in front of the list of the other games that are paying that marketing and all the rest. They can bring that over to our system and we can get the game on. We charge 2.3%. That's it. Like a credit card processing fee. That's exactly it. It's (laughs) 2.3%. And that's to the user buying it. That's not even to the developer or the publisher or whoever it is. They get 100% of whatever they put up there that they want. So we charge the user to actually get on there. So we've got the game distribution. We're super excited about the music coming. We've got some, we've got NFT based streaming coming. So yeah, so you you can buy your music as an NFT. You can trade it. You can, you know, you can sell it on the marketplace. You can buy all of those fun things that you can do with NFTs that, you know, people have been locked out of, you know, like um, these quote unquote gaming black markets that sell in-game items and all the rest. Like I've, I've been a gamer for long enough. I've probably once or twice bought, you know, an in-game item on the black market. Mm-hmm. We, we support that stuff because the more that it's, it's spread through the community and the more the, the owner of it continues to get that royalty for every time. So you don't get the garage sale scenario where, you know, they only get the royalty the first time it's sold at Walmart. Never do they see anything from it from there on out. Right. You get the ability for them to actually own their music and the publishing of their music. Wow. So it, it, we're super excited about it. Um, we're going to have some more announcements about some artists that'll be coming over. So it's it, it's something that we think is, is an awesome space. Um, we have actually two musicians, two rock stars as part of our team. Um, and, uh, you know, they've gone through the, the various different lockouts of who owns their material and, you know, who can publish their material. They've lost gigs through publishing companies. YouTube, um, Spotify, um, uh, Steam, they all take this massive chunk out of what all of these creatives do. We're just trying to make it so that the little guy wins again. You know, we like to say that we're, we're white-collar tools for blue-collar folks. <laughs> you know, that's, that's our I love it because you're absolutely right. You know, for a lot of people, whatever type of creator they are or artist, like you have to keep it as a hobby or a side hustle um, because you have these traditional systems in place that say, well, if you want to scale it to where you can make it a full-time gig, uh, you're going to have to give us a big piece of the pie. And if not, not. So I love what you're doing. I myself, again, I'm a creator. I love to create stuff, but I always talk about how, I have a love and hate relationship with Google and Facebook and all these other organizations because yes, they have great utility. They've taken us to the next level, but at this point we know they are making so much money, so much money on the backs of all the people who create and feed the content. And then they're turning around on top of that and whoring out your data, which, I mean, we, we could say here, that's a whole other episode that we could talk about. <laughs> and then you have the apples of the world who've been, you know, who was doing that for like, what, 10, 11 years yeah. with, with the, with the ID. And, and then all of a sudden they're like, oh, we want to get out of Congress's way. So we're going to be the good boys and we're going to cut everybody else out of it. And it's like, wait, what? But you guys still take a chunk from 
app developers on iOS. Like, you're not good. Like, I'm sorry. I mean, you're you you've a decent product, sure, de- decent product. But all the tech companies, I mean, it, it just is the fact. All the tech companies, they first and foremost care about not their community, not their customers. It's the shareholder. Yeah, it's, that it's Wall line, Street. Man. It's Wall Street. That's it. I mean, I don't care how. And, and then this goes for all of them, right? Like the Microsofts, the Googles, the Facebooks, that's it. And so I'm excited for companies like yours who are coming into the space, a space that is like at the cusp of like some big changes, but giving back to, to the people who are, who are the ones who are making the space what it is. We're, we are a hundred percent community focused. Um, I mean, all of the stuff, all of the development that we do, it's all about giving the creator that power back, man. I mean, um, you know, whether it's, like you said, whether it's YouTube charging or Google charging or Apple charging, I mean, they all charge this exorbitant fee that, you know, makes it hard for, of course, you want to get on that platform because you want that exposure, but you're, it's a deal with the devil at the same time. Yeah, we're just we're just trying to make it easier for the little guys to actually have that leg up, and you know, hopefully, you know, at one point down the line, we'll we'll be able to compete with you know the Steams, the Microsofts, the AWSs, and all that out there, and we'll be one hundred percent community built. So I love it, Nick. Man, thank you so much for being on the show, and I just love everything you guys are doing. Definitely, um, our listeners, if they want to get to know more about or and the tokens and everything that you're doing, where can we find you? Yeah, it's or-system.com. That's O-R-E-system.com. And then if you want to check out the NFT marketplace and the games and all the rest, it's or-forge, or-forge.com. All right. And one last question I'm going to leave you with, because I Absolutely. know you're, you're a gamer at heart, as you said in, the, in your profile. What's your favorite all-time game? All-time? Halo 4, <laughs> man. Halo 4. Okay. Uh, I, 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 I took time off of work. This that was probably the last GameStop midnight release that I was part of. Okay. Um, but yeah, Halo Four is probably my ultimate, followed by the original Doom. Okay. <laughs> there you go. We'll have to compare notes with some other gamers that we've had on the podcast <laughs> in the past here. But that's awesome, man. Congratulations on all your success, and thanks for being in the podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me on. 